you're listening to the voice of dog i'm kaki your faithful fireside companion and today's story is the second and final part of victor tremblay in snowed in by pascal farfel who was recently featured on rick wallace's the big pitch and you can find more of his stories on his fur affinity and so furry pages last time detective victor tremblay and his reluctant colleague don harvey were stationed in a small Idaho hotel en route to a conference when a vase in the hotel was found missing. Tremblay began work investigating the disappearance. When he saw someone running from the scene, he began to chase them. We left off as the detective took an ill-informed lunge at his opponent, only to discover he'd tackled both the person he was chasing and an innocent passerby with no idea who was who. Please enjoy. Victor Tremblay in... Snowed In by Pascal Farfel, Part 2 of 2 I staggered to my feet, aching as the crowd of people assembled, and two figures in yellow, both winded from falling the staircase to the ground, scrambled to their feet. Both seemed to try and run, then realize what they were faced with, and come to a halt. One was a mole, and the other was a rat. What on earth do you think you're doing? The rat grunted. I stood, testosterone competing with embarrassment in my veins as I realized the mistake I'd made. One of you has taken the vase, then started to run when I spotted you, I explained, using up the last drops of adrenaline I had in my accusation, then letting my arms fall to my sides. So you elected to hurl both of us down a flight of stairs, potentially giving us fractured concussions and all sorts, on a hunch that one of the two of us is your culprit? The mole grunted. I gulped. Yes, that's correct. The mole snorted. Some detective you are. I could do little more than nod. The rat was clearly trying to remain calm, though I could see that he was trying to get away. Getting angry at me seemed not to be the prime of his thoughts, even post-tumble. He had his paws in his pockets, shifting around on his heels, not meeting anyone in the eye. If I found out that you had something to do with this, I'm going to have you on a plate, do you hear? Margaret growled at him. I didn't have a damn thing to do with this, he snarled. I was just minding my own business when this oaf threw me down your stairs. The pair growled at one another, and I resolved to think more than I acted, at least for the moment. My eyes returned to the mole. They were equally hunched up, equally on edge, and equally not making as much of a fuss as they arguably should be. They were both hiding something, that was for certain. I remembered in a flash the conversation I'd heard from this morning. I addressed the mole formally. Your name would be? Sandra. Sandra, I overheard you and an accomplice this morning mention having lost something. Do inform me as to what that something was, I requested. She flinched. A soul. A saw. Yes, a hand saw. I'm a carpenter. I bought it at a trade show a couple of days ago, she explained. And you lost it? I queried. Yes, we did. And did you find it? No, we've still not located it. Do you have the receipt for it or any documentation of the trade show? She grunted and began to rummage through her coat and her things, her associate in blue doing likewise. Buying equipment from a trade show, if part of that trade doesn't seem unreasonable. I put my thoughts to the geography of the area. I certainly didn't think a small town like the one with the restaurant and post office would carry a trade event. 
those events make money on the weight of attendees and weight of numbers, so putting one here, where there were few folk, seems counterintuitive. Though there was a much larger town a few miles away, staying here wasn't impossible. I'm afraid I don't have anything on me. I'm sorry, she said. I nodded. Now I was less certain. I need to do more investigations. Done, I announced, looking over to the badger. Continue to question the suspects. I'll return shortly. Sir, yes, sir, Don said sarcastically. Do you want me to lick your boots when you return? A double laserdisc box set's worth of sadistic power fantasies flashed through my brain all at once. No, I'd like you to do your job, the one for which you were paid, I grunted, turning heel and heading back upstairs. I was now looking for two objects, the vase and the handsaw. I got the room numbers of where Sandra and the rat were staying, as well as the rat's name, Toby Robinson. The first place I looked was nearby to where the vase was stolen from. I made my way across the corridor towards the room that I'd been in previously. Opening it, I was blasted with a bitter cold for a second time, but having to leave them open to preserve the evidence. I checked the number on the door. Sandra was staying in room 302, Toby in 304, and myself all the way in 312, the other side of the building. This was room 306. Neither of theirs, though both of the rooms were in easy view of the vase. Then began the question of access. How did one gain access to this room? I would have assumed it to be locked when out of use. So would it be an inside job? Or a set of stolen keys? Coercion of a staff member? Maybe just taking advantage of a mistake? The windows were open. Why? To dump an unwanted object, most likely? Or to transfer it out of the building without needing to use the front entrance or draw as much attention? Forget if the vase would survive. This didn't seem to be a particularly smart theft. A potential plan as thus. The container for the vase is broken. The vase is taken and brought into this room. An accomplice on the ground is ready. The window is opened, and the vase is dropped to a compatriot on the ground who catches it and leaves with it. First problem with this was the lack of footprints. The snow had stopped falling in the morning, and it was early that the loss of the vase was noticed. Henceforth, if an accomplice was there and received it, there would be footprints. But there was none, none whatsoever. Potentially the snow itself had put a wrench in that attempt anyway. If the accomplice couldn't arrive, someone had an object that they couldn't get rid of. I turned around and began to search the room. Whomever was in here had cut themselves, so I was expecting blood and glass. The former was evident, only subtly, a few smears on bed linen and similar. I looked in the closet that my culprit had escaped out of. It was now empty, but could have easily held a person. I dropped onto all fours and peered under the bed. Still no vase. More pressingly, though, I found a small note. In rough text, it said, The price is final. Get me the vase. I didn't recognize the handwriting. While on my way to Sandra's room, I bumped into her accomplice, the mole in blue. Good afternoon. Any luck locating the handsaw? I asked. Handsaw, he replied. I paused. Yes, you had lost one and yet to find it, I said firmly. Uh, or are you looking for something else? I glared. So, yes, that, that would be it. I'm being lied to, aren't I? I probed. What do you know about the theft of the Alpha Vase? I know nothing about it. Sure. Then tell me what you've lost. A, a saw. Where did you get it? 
from a shop in town, not from a trade show. A shop is like a trade show. Tell me the truth, I growled. He flinched and squirmed. No! I am well aware that you and Sandra are up to something illegal. I have enough information to arrest the pair of you and have you formally investigated for an extremely valuable theft. This is your final chance. Start talking. Oh, damn it all to hell, he growled, reaching up and unzipping his coat and showing me the inside. Packets, full of white powder, except for one notably missing. I blinked. I don't know anything about your vase, he said. We, we're just drug runners, sir, he sobbed. We're working for a heavy in Idaho, smuggling in from Canada, he wept. Acting quickly, I reached behind him, opening the door into Sandra's room, and guided myself and him inside. I closed the door behind us and sat him down on the bed, where he wept openly and severely. I sat on the floor between him and the door. I took a long, deep breath and composed myself. Who's the heavy? I asked in a near whisper. He'll kill us if we say. I nodded. I can help you get out of this. No, why should I trust a cop like you? I'm not a cop. I'm a private detective, I said. I've done contract work for the Seattle Police Department before, but we're not in Seattle, and we're not on one of their contracts, so this isn't any of their damn business. He kept sobbing, but nodded. I didn't want to get into this, he said. I know, I assured him. We were going to leave here in the morning, get an early start on getting further down, but the snow set in and we were trapped here. One of the packets got lost between us checking in in the morning. That's what we were looking for when you asked if you could help. I nodded. If we arrive at the heavy with anything short of the full load, he'll... he'll... I nodded. The cut on Sandra's hand? I began. That wasn't from glass from the vase stand. It wasn't fresh enough to be. Oh, she got that the last time we failed the heavy. If we fail again... I I understand, I said, keeping my voice as soft as I can. Tell me, do you know anything about the vase at all? Did you see who damaged it? I noticed that the vase was missing and the case was smashed by morning. And at that point, we realized we needed to get out of here and quickly before there was any heat, he explained. Guess we're too late. Did you notice at any point a rat in a yellow coat? The mole pondered. Yes, yes I did, he said. He checked in not long after me. I saw him in the hotel when we checked in and again going into the post office. Post office? Yes, the one across the railway line, all but next to the restaurant, he explained. You can't miss it. Did he have anything with him when he entered? No, and the only thing he had when he left was a foul mood. I nodded. Thank you, I said, standing up and heading for the door. What do I do now? The mole asked at last. I paused. What's your name? Francois. Well, Francois... I recommend you keep that jacket zipped up first and foremost, and then head downstairs with the others. And after we get out of this? Well, I'll need time to think of that one. Just trust me. Francois nodded and sighed. You didn't exactly give me much choice. Wishing I had something better to say, I turned and departed. I arrived back in the hallway where I found Don grilling both the rat and Sandra, though the mole was suffering at worse, it seemed. I approached the rat, his hands still in his pockets. Toby, did you visit the town across the railway line at any time since you checked in at this hotel? 
Yes, yes, I did, he said gruffly. I had some dinner at the restaurant last night. Ah, yeah, I remember you having an argument in there. He grimaced. Yeah, that was to do with a deal I had going south. A deal? I asked. In what? I was going to buy the vase, you see, he explained, for a third-party client. I was around here in person. She wasn't, so I came to broker the deal. I see. The deal went bad and you had to deliver the bad news? Yeah, Margaret wanted more money than my client was willing to offer. And thus you rang them up in the restaurant to voice your displeasure. Yeah, that's right. Strange. There was a telephone in your hotel room. Well, I didn't want to uh, be overheard. So you went to a public restaurant to do it? Yeah, in a building not containing the person who owned the thing I was trying to buy? He growled. Seems pretty smart to me, wouldn't you think? All right. Well, who was the buyer? Sally Briggs, collector from New York City. And how much was she willing to pay for it? 70000 I had heard that number before. I turned to the badger. Done. The price of the vase, you told me it this morning. What was it again? 70000 Why? Where'd you get that number from? Sally Briggs. Oh, you know her? <laughs> well, not in person, he chuckled, pulling out a newspaper from the nearby desk. I read her columns, you know, high society living and all that. Ah, of course, I mused. And so how does she know how much it's worth? Well, she said she'd bought it for that price. She said she'd already bought it? Yes, she did, Margaret said, stepping up to us. She did so to apply pressure. She's got the rest of the vases in the collection, the beta and the gamma. It's one of three. First I heard of this was in the paper. Then this guy turns up and says he's here to complete the transaction. I was told you had already agreed to the purchase, Toby objected. I logged his objection silently and kept my eye on Margaret. I take it you said no? Absolutely. I'm hoping to fund the refurbishment of this entire building on the back of selling that thing, she concluded. All right, that would explain the phone call, I said, finally turning back to Toby. So, you rang up Sally Briggs and told her you'd been turned down. Correct, he said. Then what happened? I tried to see if Sally would pay more for it, and she wouldn't. That was her upper limit. So, then what happened? I stayed the night, and I was ready to leave when the snow came in, and now I'm being accused of having stolen this damn thing, he grunted. When did you last see the vase? Last night. It was in its container, and then this morning, poof, gone, he grunted. I grumbled, turning away and looking to go up the stairs again, but noticed something on the floor. On the marble of the steps where we had tumbled was the smallest droplets of blood. I looked over to Toby and Sandra and gestured them over. Excuse me, the pair of you, I said. Hold out your paws. What? Why? Toby grunted, while Sandra held out hers. I saw the cut on her purr immediately. Old, starting to heal, but pretty severe now up close. Because someone dripped blood down onto those steps after falling down, and there was blood all around the doorknob and the glass case. He floundered, and my gut shivered as I realized I had caught him. Reluctantly, he held out his paws, facing downwards at first. Other way up, I added. He squirmed and did as asked. Fresh cuts. Toby Robinson, 
You are under arrest for the suspicion of the theft of the Alpha Vase. That cut could have come from when you hurled me down those damn steps. There's no sharp edges on those stairs, Toby, I grunted, reaching for my handcuffs. I didn't see him lurch, but I felt the knee when it connected. I growled and crumpled to the floor. Don did the one thing he was truly good at, sprinting off after the rat as he galloped back upstairs. I gathered my faculties and pursued back upstairs. Up was the only escape path he had. A first floor window, jump out, hit the snow, and keep running. Gunshots. Don was shooting him. The rat reached a first floor window, clattering his body weight into it, but the window stood still. Don slid to a stop, gun drawn right at him. You move one inch and you're dead, the badger growled. Es de call is de tabernak, I snarled, right at Don's throat. Why the fuck did you pull a gun on him? He's a wanted fugitive and he assaulted an officer. I am not a cop, I snarled. You ain't, but I am. He knows where the vase is and if you threaten him, he won't tell anyone anything. Don lowered his gun and looked at me. Listen, kid, I... Toby bolted. As the dip. I barked again, ripping the gun from Don's hands and chasing after Toby myself. We were this close, this close, and Don had to make things difficult. I spinned after the rat, my rage blurring my vision. I wasn't a natural predator. If I'd been a fox like Charles, I'm sure a hunting instinct would have given me unlimited precision. We ran back up to the third floor, where the vase had been. He stood by the glass, shifting, unable to decide where to go. No... A trap. I slid to a stop. Shit. Mar. He bolted back toward the room with the open window from before. I heard him scream, watched him trip. He fell forth, tumbling out of the window. I ran over, leaning out. He was climbing onto the side of the building with all his might, hands bleeding and faltering. Help, he begged. Don't let me die. I reached out my hand. He reached. Slipped. I leaned further, grabbed, Got him. I began to haul him back up into the building, lifting him across the windowsill and around before I pressed my knee to his gut and held him firm against the bedpost. He didn't resist as I handcuffed him behind his back. Don finally appeared, though thankfully he'd kept his gun put away. We're going to have a talk about this back at the station, he grunted. I ignored him for now, instead focusing on the job. Where is the vase? I asked Toby firmly. He grunted and gasped. I was supposed to hand it to Sally when she turned up, drop it out of the window to her, but she didn't show, he spluttered. Then I'd jump out after her and we'd make our escape that way. And she left you hung out to dry and with huge cuts in your hands. Not so wise to punch a glass container, is it? I said. So where is the vase now? It's on the ledge outside. I furrowed my brow and poked my head out of the window. I could see the ledge, the concrete ring around the base of the windows, but I couldn't see a vase. You're sure? Certain. When I heard footsteps, I placed it there and hid in the wardrobe. When you leaned out the window, that's when I left and ran. I looked directly down towards the ground and blinked as light shone right in my eyes. Aha, uh-huh, I said, turning around. I was about to suggest Don wait with Toby, but realizing Don had just put a bullet in him, I grunted. We'll bring Toby downstairs and look for the vase after. Don simply grunted and nodded. We lifted up the handcuffed rat and brought him downstairs, where he was taken into custody by the police that Don had no doubt called. 
an excessive amount of them for something as trivial as a vase theft, but then that was the nature of the police. Perhaps they needed those guns to get through the snow. Fortunately for Sandra and Francois, they had elected not to bring sniffer units, just regular officers. While Don interfaced with the police, I took Margaret outside. We departed out of the back door, the snow having thawed enough for us to be able to push it open, and walked around to the snowbank just below where the open window was. There, I said, gesturing to the glinting object buried in the white snow. The vase, Margaret confirmed with relief. She stepped forth and picked it up by the side handles, one hand on each. As she lifted it clear, there was a small crack. I didn't know if she'd heard it. I was too scared to ask. Then, as it was held in the air, it cracked clean in half, the bottom component hitting the snow and fracturing into a couple hundred pieces, leaving the top half in the skunk's paws, utterly speechless. I didn't want to say that I had my doubts it would support a fall from that height. The best thing I could do was hold the skunk as she wept. We gathered up the pieces and brought them inside, gathered them together and reported their destruction to the officers. They wrote it down, gave a grumble, and that was that. From the front bay window, I watched Toby get loaded into a car and the vehicles depart down the ice track toward the town below. It's time we packed up and got to move on, Don said. Got a call from the Benzyme Conference. They're ready for us. I agree. Let's get out of here. Maybe you are capable of listening to other people, the badger mumbled. I ignored him as we walked back upstairs, then approached the two moles. They'd done a more thorough search of their rooms and on their paths from there to the foyer, but couldn't find that missing packet. Likely it had been pinched by another guest or dropped somewhere. It's certainly something I'd done in my youth, and my not-so-youth. I gave them what advice I could. Get the drugs to the heavy, then get across state lines as fast as possible. The further away, the better. Though ultimately, I wasn't sure if the advice was good or would work. It was just better than giving them nothing and just waiting for the system to crush them. They thanked me and made their departure off into the snow, and I went back upstairs to pack. A few minutes later, I handed my key back to Margaret. Thank you, I said, paying the bill. No, thank you, she said, visibly devastated. The vase is a lost cause, but you did what you could. I nodded. What happens now? This place closes down, I suppose. I was banking on a good sale of that thing keeping the place going, but I guess I'll have to find something new. I struggled to meet her gaze. Do you have something in mind? To my surprise, she nodded. I do, yeah, she said with a hopeful smile. I got ambitions of opening a saloon down by the restaurant and post office across the railway. The skunk leaned into my ear. A little rainbow in the dark, if you will. I smiled. (laughs) I meant to ask, how did you know? I met a sweet fox named Charles at a motor race down in Portland. Had a few drinks and he told me all about how happy he was with his Quebecois Lima boyfriend, she grinned. I became unnaturally flustered. Oh, well, I, uh, thanks very much, I said, and good luck with the saloon. We parted with a wave, and I headed out to the front of the building where Don was loading his suitcases into the Porsche. Come on, we ain't got all day, he grunted. I put my suitcases and bags in the trunk and climbed into the passenger seat. 
Set course for the Benzyme Technology Conference, I grunted. We got some pyramids to excavate. Don nodded and steadily drove off down the icy road. So, uh, he began, about the gun thing. I twitched an ear. Go on. You disarmed an officer on an arrest. I did, yes. You want to apologize for that? I leaned back and got comfortable in my seat. Absolutely not. This was the second and final part of Victor Tremblay in Snowed In by Pascal Farfel. Read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.